guys, welcome back into How's That Working For You, a podcast that looks at life through the lens of Enneagram with uh, some uh, help, hope, and humor. And today, we're going to interview one of my best friends that I never get to see. Uh, we'll talk more about that later. And we're going to introduce the episode a little differently than the way we usually do it. We're going to lead in with a special piece of music that means a lot to Lauren. And that'll introduce you to Enneagram Type 4. So join us for the adventure, won't you? Welcome into this episode of How's That Working For You, a podcast where we try to look through the lens of the Enneagram for help, hope, and humor in our relationships and in life. I'm Art Wimberly. I'm your host. And that song is by Building 429, and it's called Different. And the reason we use that today is to introduce our guest, Lauren Taylor, who is definitely different. Lauren, how are you? I'm doing great, Art. Thanks yeah, for having yeah. me. Now, that's a song that's that's kind of become meaningful for you, hasn't it? It has, yeah. 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 It's one of those songs that uh, as soon as I heard it on the radio, I thought, I think this song might have been written for me. Every word um, just seemed to really resonate with who I am and some of the struggles I've had and what God has kind of brought me through, too, to kind of realize more about myself and how he created me. Don't, don't you just love it when the universe conspires to give you something? I love that. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like a song or a person or something in nature to reaffirm what's going on. That's absolutely. beautiful. So, uh, okay, so Lauren, you would identify from an Enneagram ego perspective as what type? I would identify as a four. Yeah, and the fours are definitely different, right? Absolutely, in and fact, we love that. Yeah, in fact, <laughs> you need to be, like, unique, Yes. right? Yes. And, in fact, you need to be so unique that nobody could even quite get you, right? That's right. Our specialness and our uniqueness is just so special that nobody really fully understands how yeah, special we are. Right. Which can kind of be a problem. It can be, yes. Right. There's a, a positive and a negative of yeah. feeling that way. Which so. there is in all Enneagram types and all ego types. There's both a, what we would call as, as believers in Christ, we would say was a created essence that uh, was meant to bless the world and for us to enjoy life. But somehow we got kind of disconnected from that. It got kind of covered over in personality layers over our childhood and our early adulthood. And because we lost some connection, but we can still kind of remember it, we're trying to imitate it all the time. So there's both that beautiful, created truth, beauty, and goodness, but then there's the way we've tried to kind of bring it back into our life without knowing it, and there's the pain point, right? Very well said, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Did you hear that, Ronnie? <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to go deeper into this in a minute, but okay. first I want to uh, let you kind of tell the the listening audience a little bit about yourself because you're not really from Birmingham, Alabama. In fact, you've kind of been all over the place, hadn't you? I have been all over the place, and that also makes me very unique. So. <laughs> well, that worked out well. That's right. That's okay, so, so like you, you grew up in a family where your dad had to move a lot because he was a football coach for much of his career. Yes, he was. Right? Yes, and so he, he moved from place to place. You guys had to go with him. So what was that like for you? Um, you know, just like everything in life, of course, I didn't know any different. So – I thought, well, this is just our life. This is what we do. About every three to four years, we move, we go somewhere new, and you adjust. And um, the, the good thing is we did have a community with the football you know, community. We were able to instantly have people that we knew wherever we went. So that was nice. Um, you know, looking back on it, I see, I can see the benefits in me being able to adapt pretty easily in most situations. I'm able to meet friends and meet people and find my place in some ways but then on the negative side of it it's been difficult because I never felt like I had my place <laughs> for okay. that where I never felt stable somewhere wow. so um, you feel this constant sense of when's the next move when is you know where's the next place I'm gonna have to try to fit in and plug in and you learn to be 
for lack of a better term, you learn to wear the masks. Okay. So let me ask you a question. When you were moving as a child mm-hmm. and every year or two or three you went to this new place, it sounds like for some reason you had the ability or the spark to actually figure out how to go toward people and somehow connect. Does that, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, but I know you well enough to know that you're not particularly always attracted to the sunny side of the street, right? Correct. So what did that mean in relationships? Um, well, that developed more as I got older, I would say. Um, I think that when I was younger, it becomes about, you know, who can you fit in with, with, because you like the same things. So that was, you know, an easy way in. But as I got older, um, it did become, and when I became a Christian, that changed as well. Of course, I was more drawn to people. I always noticed the ones who were the outcasts. I noticed the ones who were in the corner of the classroom sitting by themselves and was drawn to that and wanted to, to help. Um, so very, like in high school, I was part of a peer counseling team because I just knew I already had that heart for how can I help those who are wow. hurting. So, but it sounds also like the helping, you, you said you were attracted more to those that were kind of outcast or off in the corner, maybe they didn't fit. Yes, uh, I noticed yeah. it. I, I definitely always had a, a way to notice that yeah. about people. So was it just an intellectual way? Was it coming from somewhere else? It was coming from somewhere else. Okay. Yeah, I could. I, I, it was like an empathy that was birthed in me, I would say. Okay. Um, I think God put that there and yeah. have always had that ability um, even as a child, I'd had that ability and would pick up on things with adults and bring it to my parents and say, did you know that so-and-so was hurting because or feeling this way? And my parents would always be shocked, you know, to find out that I was pretty accurate um, wow. on what I would pick up. Well, on. and I've experienced that because uh, for the audience to know, one thing that uh, where Lauren and I worked together was we were both volunteer counselors in a local ministry uh, called Freedom Counseling, and, and the concept with Freedom Counseling is you always have two counselors in the room, right? Yes. And so we got to do it together a good bit, and I can vouch for what you're talking about because there's a number of times we were together and we're doing our thing, and then all of a sudden you would stop and you would say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm feeling something, I'm getting something here in the room. And it could either be something like a body pain or a sensation or a hard emotion, and you were picking up on it, and, and you were real vibrant about it. And I'm going, really? We're, I don't, I don't get it. And so I'm just kind of sitting there watching and observing, and then how you would relate to the counselee. And uh, invariably, whatever it is you were sensing or feeling, whether it was a body sensation or a hard emotion, they would agree that something was going on, and it was very similar to what you were picking up on. Yes. And after a while, I just learned not to fight it. Because <laughs> I'm sitting over there in my seven head, yeah. you know, analyzing everything, thinking I'm on the track here. We got, <laughs> And then all of a sudden, you're doing this, and it was very meaningful for the counselees. Right? Well, I think it makes them feel like God sees them, you know, that they're not just somebody in there who's got this secret pain that nobody really sees or understands. And so yes. I think that's where God has developed that. <clears throat> more in me. Um, and I really do see it as a gift from, from mm-hmm. the father. Yeah. I really do. It's so, it's a, it's a way that he uses me to help demonstrate his heart. Yeah, that's so. beautiful. Um, so you said the God who sees me. So I know you have kind of like a, a verse or a story that's really close to your heart, right? Comes from Hagar, right? Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I mean, <clears throat> what I'd say about that is just, um, I'm not exactly that's just a story that has been meaningful to me. I feel like um, God sends us out into these wilderness situations at times in our lives. And sometimes we feel, you know, we run away from things. We feel like we've been mistreated in life. Things have happened to us. And um, it's hard to feel in those moments, sometimes like you're not totally alone. And anytime God can like just step into that moment and say, I see you. And here is how I want you to know I see you. It gives you that reassurance, even if he tells you to go back into your situation and nothing's changed, just like he did with Hagar. Yeah. Um, he Just to know that the God of the universe sees your pain and um, wants to enter into that and doesn't run away from it um, gives you co- what you need to be able to go back. That's beautiful. And so it sounds like that's what kind of has been developing over time with you yes. from childhood into teenage years. And then I've seen it in the counseling room. and. It's so important because whereas someone like me is, is going to tend to think I'm going to connect to the 
head, which is important, right? Yes. The analytical, mm -hmm. uh, the, the train of thought, bringing a truth back in, all important. But when someone like you can then, as you said, make them feel seen, yeah, that, that's really, that's beautiful. <laughs> so let's, let's kind of go forward a little bit in the story, all the moving around, fitting in, mm -hmm. still feeling different, but yet somehow connecting, being drawn more to the outcast, those that are struggling maybe with some of the things that are a little more difficult or darker. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then this idea of depth, you know, be going deeper. Yes. And, okay. So eventually you went to, to school. All right, went on to I college, did. and uh, it's okay if you want to tell the people where you went. I, <laughs> I don't mind. I went to Auburn University, okay. War right. Eagle. War Eagle. All right, so let me ask you something, Lauren. I, I usually ask most people this question. So other than the Auburn thing, what's your greatest failure in life? <laughs> no, just kidding. I just, Ronnie can take that out later. Uh -huh. Okay, yeah, I had to get that one in. Cue the drums. Yes. Yeah, All right, so... Uh, but while you were at Auburn, yes. what was your kind of course of study? What were you thinking about? So while I was at Auburn, I knew uh, by that point God had confirmed for me, I felt like, um, that counseling was my direction. And part of that was um, I had taken a Bible study on experiencing God, looking at the markers in my life, looking at the words that had been spoken to me from other people, friends. I was always the friend that people came to when they had problems and that kind of thing, even before I was a Christian. So I looked at the markers. I thought, okay, this is where I think I'm going is counseling, but they didn't offer that undergrad. So I went with psychology, which may have been failure number two. <laughs> I don't think so. No, it yeah. was, it was yeah. definitely God ordained, but it's, it was not, uh, my path has not been a direct shot. Um, it has been a process of me saying, okay, now Lord, here's where I am in the journey. Where, what do you want me to do now? And so he's not taken me from point A straight to point B. It's been a, it's been a, an interesting mm -hmm. ride. Yeah, it's, so. it's, it's funny you say that because um, I guess any ego type uh, might have that same experience. But it's funny because fours and sevens definitely tend to have that type of experience. And I can vouch for that as a seven. And, and you and I are actually in a harmony triad together, one, four, seven, mm -hmm. which is body, heart, and brain, so to speak. So we'll talk more about harmony triad work later, but I, I definitely can resonate with that. It hadn't gone like I thought it was yeah. going. Actually, I never thought it was going to go a particular way anyway, but the path has been very uneven. Yeah. All right, so pick up on that. So I did start undergrad with psychology, um, and I graduated and, you know, had to make some money, right? So I had some jobs that were not necessarily related to counseling, and then knowing that that was still what I wanted to do, pursued my master's after I'd been out of college for a few years, got my master's at uh, University of Montebello, um, and did that program. That was in counseling, and finished that, and was thinking, in my mind, I was mm -hmm. going for my license after that. And that was the plan. Uh, and then God said, through a series of circumstances and things that happened, um, he really was doing some heart work on me. Yeah. And I got com I've completed, got my master's, was going to do licensure, and he was like, that's not the path I have for you. I thought, well, why did I do all that that I just did then? And he, you know, just divinely orchestrated what was next, and that was to pursue biblical counseling. Um, now I don't say that my, my way is the way that everyone should do it. But for me, uh, the reason why I, I can look at it now, God didn't want me to do licensure is because then you are, you are required to follow certain mm -hmm. guidelines. Um, and you have to continue, do continuing education and you have to follow the, the guidelines that are set, the standards, you know, ethically, you have to do that. And I knew that was not where my heart was. I wanted to open my Bible up with people in the counseling sessions. I felt like the Lord was really leading me and impressing that on me. So I pursued getting certified as a biblical counselor, um, went through that process and, um, had children in the middle of all of that. So that process took so a lot life, longer. Life kind of happened. Life happened, right? but never was I, you know, I, I never was walking away from it. I was just kept saying, it's your timing. It's yeah. your timing. Huh. Um, so. And you, and you guys, uh, you and your husband were in North Carolina for a while. We were, that's where I got certified. Okay. And mm -hmm. because you were part of a church that had a pretty strong counseling, uh, well, not or you connected to a church in some way. Right? So the, we attended a church there that yeah. didn't, did not have biblical counseling. And this yeah. was God's, again, his provision. We started out at that church, um, started a small group there. My husband and I did with a few other couples and the, 
uh, same week, month that we were starting that class, there was a new couple who had just been hired at the church. And he was in charge of what was called the care ministry. Well, providentially, he ended up being our Sunday school leader and um, started talking in class about things with counseling, counseling related. So um, actually, I approached him and said, you know, can you tell me more about how you became a biblical counselor? And he said, well, actually, um, I am a fellow with an organization called ACBC, and we're planning on bringing the conference here to this church, and you have to go to the conference in order to get certified to be a biblical, biblical counselor. So he said, I want you to go through the program. And I thought, this is, I mean, God couldn't mm. have teed this up any better. It's right here. I don't have to travel. I don't have to leave my kids. Um, so that was the beginning of the process for me. And, um, you know, once you submit to God's plan, he really makes it pretty clear and makes it a lot easier on us than us trying to force our way. So oh, why didn't you tell me that 50 years ago? Well, <laughs> you didn't okay. ask. Yeah. Well, all right. So, um, all right. So you're there, uh, all this kind of c- comes together mm-hmm. and then you go through the certification. Yes. Um, and then eventually you guys move back to move to Alabama. We do. Right. Okay. How long ago was that? Um, that's been what, uh, about eight years ago now. Okay. Um, yeah, All right. I think that's about right. All right. And so were you were you already actively counseling or when did that come about? I was not. Okay, so that that's another story. So God uh literally moved us back here. We we weren't planning. We loved where we were in North Carolina, what we were doing, and um he orchestrated us to come back here through my husband's job. Uh my husband ended up working with another man who they got really close and, and were doing, you know, traveling together and so of course conversation comes up. Hey, what does your wife do? Well, here's what my wife does. So my husband starts talking about the fact that I am, I'm certified to be a biblical counselor, but don't know where yet I'm going to end up looking for that next step. And the man who he's working with says, oh, well, guess what? My wife is a biblical counselor and she actually heads up a ministry and she's looking for biblical counselors. So, um, and we ended up, we were certified with the same organization. No. Shocker. So God, um, just again, it's his, it's his providential plan. If we just was sub- submit to it and trust it. And so that's how that all got started. I'm still with Sonia now. Um, and she's moved churches since that time. And we've, you know, we're still together and, um, it's a beautiful ministry. Yeah. Very- in fact, we'll talk more about that in, in before we close it. I want to get to a specific thing that okay. you and Sonia are going to be involved in too. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll tell the viewers, viewers. We have no viewers. We have listeners. <laughs> we'll tell them about it. Um, the uh, okay. So you, you met Sonia. She had started Freedom Counseling. Yes. And you began counseling with her. And then I met you. Uh, gosh, almost four years ago now. Yes. Um, we, my wife and I, were just leaving one church that had we had helped plant that was being kind of reconstructed. And so we were still looking. We were looking for a place to land. Mm-hmm. Ended up in the same church that you were at, and we ended up in the same small group. Yes. And then one of the announcements um, one week uh, in print and, and electronically said a biblical counseling opportunity in the Childersburg area. It's a, for those that don't know, it's an area south of Birmingham. And um, I was looking for opportunities myself. I had just retired from my career such as it was and was trying to put together this idea that I was supposed to help teach train counsel mm-hmm. folks from a couple of different perspectives recovery perspective enneagram perspective and and biblical counseling sacred scripture that type of thing and so they had this announcement about this biblical counseling opportunity and and my wife it took my wife going hey you might want to ask about that because I am so I don't see trees because of forest and, that's and, why you have Carrie in your yeah life. that's why Carrie's there. she <laughs> says hey this actually fits what you're thinking about you may want to pay attention to this and you may want to actually do something about it and I'm like oh okay so uh, the next week in the small group I asked the leader hey what's this thing about biblical counseling thing and he starts to answer he goes wait a minute Lauren why don't you tell about that and you stood up and you described mm-hmm. it and 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 then I said you know we need to talk so afterward we talked mm-hmm. I told you some of my story about addiction and recovery and and you said hey I, I've actually been praying to God to bring somebody to me that knows about addiction remember that I do remember yeah. that yes and so then you introduced me to Sonia and I passed muster with with Sonia turns out she and I had connections and threads mm-hmm. that we weren't aware of we had both been trained under one of the same counselors 
but we also both were connected to Celebrate Recovery in a couple of different ways. So, so the thread started going together, and yes. I, and I think you know she took a look and said, I think this guy might be okay, and so <laughs> she allowed me to come in to and volunteer, and that's how we started counseling together, right? Yes. Okay, great. Here we are today. Here we are today. Mm-hmm. All right, and by by the way, if I tell Lauren is one of my the most favorite people in my life that I never get to see, okay, because <laughs> she kind of does the four thing. Where she just withdraws from everybody and everything yes, for a while. Yes, I do. Like, I have to. I just had to stop chasing her down. <laughs> I had to draw a boundary somewhere. So, so I'm glad we're getting to do this to catch back up. Okay, so um, we got some of the backstory, and uh, I want to talk. You told me something once about one of the kind of key things for you in your maturity and your spiritual growth, mm-hmm. uh, in 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 the way you deal with other people is that uh, having to come to terms with your uniqueness. Yes. Okay? Yeah. All that battle, I am unique, but it, I can't quite make it work that fours go through that that paradox and that tension. I know I'm unique, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. it's painful. Yes. And I can't, it just doesn't see. I look at these other people out there that are not unique, and their life seems to be going okay. Why can't mine go okay? Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Did you experience that as you were growing up? And, um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that was one of the biggest things when I took the class um, that you taught about Enneagram work. That was one of the things that I, as soon as you started talking about that, it was like you were reading my mail. And yeah. I thought, oh, my goodness. I totally relate to that. And I, and I thought everybody feels this way. Yeah. But they don't. It's definitely a four thing. Um, And so you feel this tension of, I want to be special and unique. I value that in myself and in others. But you start to feel like I'm so special and unique that I just, nobody gets me and I'm never going (laughs) to fit anywhere. Yeah. Right? You know what they call that in AA, in the big book? It's called terminal uniqueness. Okay. Yeah. You, that you sounds come bad. Into, it, I don't. I, terminal. I think I need a it pill ends. For that. This does not end good. Okay. So <laughs> what what they're saying is you come into twelve step work into recovery, whatever the issue is, and they say everybody deals with terminal uniqueness, and it can go in one of two directions or both, <laughs> if, if sevens and fours especially. One is I'm so unique that I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. The other is I'm so unique there's no cure. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. That's, that's a facet of 12-step work. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and sevens feel that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, very similar to four, sevens feel that there's there's a uniqueness, but I can't make it work. Yes. Right? Yes. And, or there, uh, I, I should be in 12-step recovery, but I really don't belong here. Or I know I belong here, but you don't have a cure for me because I'm so unique. Mm-hmm. You see the paradox? Yeah. And that's the tension fours and sevens live with yep. without knowing it. Yeah. Right? Okay. All and right. there's a healthy and an unhealthy version of that too, right? Absolutely, so. yeah. All right, so go back. You mentioned we went through some training together. We we dove deeply into the uh, ego structure as the, the Enneagram. Dis- Enneagram's really about describing the nine archetypal ego structures that appear in the world. It's not about just personality. It's not about naming this is who I am, so you got to deal with me or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's really getting into the basics of how we believe that God may have created these these archetypes that were all true, beautiful, and good, and then what in the heck happened after that, right? How did we get disconnected from that? So I remember distinctly two things that I think I saw grabbing you when we were doing the, the training and, and doing the exercises. Mm-hmm. One was the holy idea, the spiritual dimension of four, which is holy origin. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit, about how holy origin, the idea of, wait a minute, <laughs> oh, I am unique, and there, there, there was a created design in me. Yeah, those are uh, the, the root meaning of the, the book of Genesis, the word Genesis is origin. Mm-hmm. And so it opens up how we were created. When you saw that, you seemed to that seemed to kind of grab you a little bit. Yeah, so I mean, I think that I think it's kind of what we were talking about before too is is just understanding that yes, I am created uniquely and understanding how that how I fit into my world and how the uniqueness is a gift. Um, not a curse. Not a curse. Yeah. It's a gift and also um, learning to be able to view everybody else that way as well. Everybody else is uniquely created. Yeah. And appreciating that about them too, and not just saying, "Well, my uniqueness is so right," diff- almost in a you know elevating yourself in a weird yeah, way. Yeah. Um, or, or the the other paradox with fours or anybody, but fours especially, is you either elevate yourself 
or you deprecate. Yes. You got to go one way or the other because I'm unique. That's right. And I can't make it work. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, that's right. And so learning how to balance, how to hold that tension, as you say, and and see it through the lens of God's view of you. I am chosen. Yes, I am unique. Yes, Um, I am created by God and I have his fingerprints all over me, uh, which makes me valued. Um, But I also can look at like I said, being able to look outwardly, not so inwardly all the time, and yeah. look outwardly and see and value that in everybody else as well. Yeah, the, one of the um, things I was taught in counseling training was that if you're not careful, you'll do this thing. Introspection is fine, but morbid introspection yes. where you go down and in and never come back up and out traps people. And that is a trap for a four. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so uh, the other thing that seemed to kind of light your fire in the training was – when we looked at the statement of the uh, third century um, father of the church, one of the early theologians of the church, Irenaeus, and he had this statement that's pretty famous where he says that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Mm -hmm. And that one seemed to get you. The word glory, I think, was one thing that got you because I was was that the year that glory was your, yeah, was yes, your it word? Yes, it was. And so your eyes kind of lit up. Your whole body kind of lit up when you, you're looking at that statement. Well, the glory of God is a human being brought fully alive. Yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. How did that? Well, I just think that statement is absolutely beautiful. And I think that, you know, that's a, that is a goal almost, if you want to put it that way, that I felt like I could hold on to. I could grab on to that. It was, you know, coming fully alive. What does that mean? Mm. You know, because especially at that point, and I'm still there, but at that point I was really focused in on glory. What does it mean? What does it look like? How do we display God's glory? How do we pursue God's glory? So if it's a human being fully alive, that just really ignited something in me. Mm -hmm. Um, And also made me think, how can I, where are the places in me that are not fully alive? That's good. You know, you search my heart, Lord, yeah, like it yeah. talks about in the Bible. Show me where I'm not fully alive and Ooh, how do I? Yeah, Psalm 139. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And how do I How do I partner with you so we can do this together? Well, I like that phrasing of it, the idea that there is a unique fullness that he crafted into each human being. Yes, we have common fullness, common mm-hmm. glory, but there's a unique fullness in each human being that he wants to bring fully alive for his purposes, right? And the idea that, um, okay, but... Sometimes I think we've done a disservice to ourselves as believers in focusing so much on what's negative that has to go, which Mm -hmm. I get it. That's important. But I think sometimes we have forgotten over the ages or diminished the idea that, no, what in that seed you planted in me is still not brought fully alive yet. This positive quality, this original blessing that he gives to people that was meant to come out and bless the world and for me to enjoy life. Even in the midst of trouble, even in, as Jesus said, you in this world, you're going to have trouble. That's right. Right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So what are some of the things, maybe one or two things you've discovered in fully aliveness that you kind of didn't tap into before? Um, well, <clears throat> I think that one of them, um, I would have to say is w- kind of a little bit of what we touched on is just the, the unique part of me, you know, that's one of them just understanding what those things really even are. Um, I remember asking not too terribly long ago, I'd say a couple of years ago, asking some of the people that I'm, you know, my family and, and things like that, what, what would you say I really enjoy? You know, what are the things that you would look at me and say, you know, I know Lauren really likes this because I'm not even, I'm kind of out of touch with that right now. And um, helping just bring some of that alive again in me mm-hmm. um, because, you know, life happens. And <clears throat> we get so focused on our, our kids and what we're doing. And sometimes we kind of lose track of even who we are. So that's one thing. Um, and then I would say <clears throat> um, another area where I feel like God has really brought me alive is <laughs> – my vulnerability, um, because that is something, although I am a four, and this is where, you know, you and I have had many discussions about the fact that I don't display like a typical four, because my emotions seem to be more in check. I have a really good poker face. Yes. Um, in fact, it used to drive me crazy, because sevens are made to get responses out of people, and no matter how hard I try, I couldn't get a response. I'm you're like, not the first on. person who has said that. Yeah, I'm like, come on, Lauren, this is my best stuff. I, I, need, I need a pretty good response here. 
yeah. and you're just yeah. like it's just like stoic. in there and you're stoic and yes. yeah, maybe I'll think about that. Yes. Yeah. Well, God has put his finger on that. Okay. And and he has made me aware of the fact that that some of that is is okay, but at the same time a lot of it was me covering, hiding, trying not to show the emotions. And so he has you know, pricked that really, truly, and said, I want you to be more vulnerable, and I want you to share more of how you're feeling. Those things are not negative. Those things are a gift, and you're supposed to feel all the feelings, and um, some things I don't necessarily, it's just for me to process with him, Mm -hmm. Um, but even with him, I had created some stoicness. Oh, okay, now that's important. Yeah. Yeah, that's really important. Yeah. So the idea that he's saying to you, you can be vulnerable with me. Yes. Right? which then can open you up appropriately to other people. Correct. Right? Yeah. You mentioned the word earlier about equilibrium. The idea with a four is that their virtue, uh, what what brings them back closer to their created essence is equilibrium, or some will call it uh, emotional equilibrium or equanimity, Mm -hmm. that balance. And, but if we're not careful, we can get the self, somebody could tell a four, well, you're, you know, your virtue is equanimity or emotional equilibrium. And then the ego gets back in charge and says, oh, I shall create that. Right. (laughs) Right. And I think that's where, what I had done. Yeah. Because I had, I'd seen value in, uh, not being someone who was emotional all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I had seen, I had kind of almost like, um, like inner vows you make sometimes, like I will never be like this or that. Yeah. And that had created for me just this I- identity of, I am the stable one. I'm always emotionally stable and calm. And, um, and so I, again, I value self-control. I think it's a gift of the Holy spirit, but at the same time, I do feel like there is times, there are times that we, grieve with others. There are times that we ourselves, um, you know, maybe even need to get angry about things, angry and not sin, but yep, you know, yep, we yep. need to let ourselves feel those things. Cause those are all given to us by God as well. Yeah. And I think that's part of being fully alive. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. All right. So another thing you told me this year was that, uh, God was impressing upon you that, um, you weren't supposed to stay in the shallows. Mm-hmm. That you were it, you were meant for depth, right? Yes. Do you remember the little you used an analogy, yeah. I think, about yeah. the fish in the water. Can you talk about that a little? Well, bit? Well, yes. Yeah, so that was completely from the Lord because I could not have come up with that myself. But um, just in my time, my quiet time with Him, re- just really praying through again some you know just deeper things that are going on with me within me, and I just felt Him saying to me that you are a creature that's created for the deep, and I thought is that real? And so, you know, he was explaining to me that it's similar, that there are some creatures that literally are only made for the deep. So I had to, you know, do my own research in that and kind of dig in. And it's true. There are animals that live in the deep, deep parts of the ocean that if they were to try to come into the shallow, they would not survive. And I felt the Lord saying that to me as well. You don't, you weren't created to live in the shallows. You were created to live in the deep and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's how I made you. So I, I feel like uh, that has been something that has been comforting to me um, to know, again, understanding my place in the world and, yes, my uniqueness, but just understanding that there, there's nothing wrong with the fact that I do gravitate towards the depth. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, no. it's, you know, I live in the South, so in the South there is a tendency to be a little bit more uh, – I hate to use the word shallow, but bless their heart. Bless their heart. That's exactly right. But you know, there is that tendency to kind of we we're very good at putting on the mask, and even Mm -hmm. at church, going to church and saying, "Hey, how are you? I'm fine. Everything's good. So and so's great." And then we've got social media on top of that, where you know, pretty much we display Mm -hmm. this is good. Life is good. Life is easy. We you know we're going here on this vacation, and we're so those things get reinforced that mindset, and you start to believe throwing on top of it that, you know, I am an introvert as well, which is only about 1% of the population here uh, in the South. In the South, yeah. 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 So, Especially for Southern women. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, there's, a, there's a famous, he's, he's passed now, but Ernie Kurtz was a, an amazing uh, life story, um, uh, recovering alcoholic and a priest and a historian. He wrote a, a scholarly paper while he was uh, a professor called The Tragedy of Southern Religion. Mm-hmm. And that's really what he was talking about. Yeah. 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 So I, I am one of those people that I found it again, 
it's kind of part of my where I feel like God's leading me as I am to be more vulnerable, to display that depth that God has placed in me, and hopefully encourage others to say that okay, it's a, it's safe. Yeah. I'm a safe place. I'm a safe person for you to be able to be this with and to do this with. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I feel like God has been working on me. Um, it'll be, you know, I'll be, that will make me different a little bit. It has made me a little mm-hmm. different. Some mm-hmm. people, some people appreciate that and love it and, and do gravitate towards, Hey, you're the one who came to my mind when I was struggling with this. And I just, you know, can we talk? Yeah. But then, then there's others that say, I don't, I don't really want to, I'm not there. I don't yeah. want to go too deep. Let's yeah. keep it here. Let's yeah. keep it on this and, level. and a lot of times when we're coming fully alive, when we're maturing mm-hmm. and growing, um, sometimes it takes those in our life a little while to be okay with that or to catch up. Very sometimes true. I learned a long time ago in recovery that anybody else's opinion of me is none of my business, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was, boy, it took me a while to figure that one out. It doesn't mean I don't have to be caring about what other people think, but I need to be careful about how I let that shape and form how I'm going to keep growing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't have to be smart aleck about it. But I, but I can be sensitive to it, but still understand, no, I'm on a path where that growth is coming. It's a little different. And some folks are just not ready for that yet. Yeah. yeah. Can I tell a funny story about that? Yeah, a little absolutely. Bit? Okay, so. Well, my, we'll be the judge of it. Uh, Ronnie, it Ronnie listen. Okay, <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. So my best friend and I, um, she lives in North Carolina, and um, we don't get together very often because we're busy. Um, we decided to go on a trip, this a little girl's getaway this, this summer. And so, um, and it was wonderful. We had a great time. But I have been doing a lot of deep inner work, and I have, God has been changing me in some areas. And so. She hasn't seen me a whole lot during that time. We've talked some, but she hasn't really seen. So this is just a little funny, but um, in my exploration of myself and learning how to express my emotions better, um, we were walking through the streets of Savannah one afternoon, and it was really hot, and we were trying to find a restaurant to go to. And typically, in, in those situations, I just tend to stuff how I'm really feeling. I was getting frustrated. You know, we couldn't make our minds up. Uh, We're walking all over the place. Normally, I would just stuff and not say anything. And she says to me, um, she sees a look on my face, and she's like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm really not okay. She's like, you're not okay? I said, no, I want us to find a restaurant. I'm getting very frustrated right now. And she was like, well, I don't have time for that, so you need to just put that away. I was like, no, 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 no. This is part of my healthiness. (laughs) I am telling you how I really feel, and I am frustrated right now, and we need to find a restaurant. So I think that's just a little... Tiny One glimpse. tiny glimpse of, yeah. you know, her for that moment looking like, okay, well, now that's different. Yeah. That's different. Yeah, not normally, sure I can be a friend anymore. <laughs> normally, normally that's not how Lauren would respond. And uh, no, it was good. We had a good conversation that's after good. that. Yeah. And it, it did spur something in both of us to say, you know, there is, when we change, it is a little uncomfortable sometimes for other people. Yep. Absolutely. Not bad. It doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. It's just, it can be a little, uh, yeah, a little because the truth is most of us unconsciously have been training everybody in our life, how to experience us anyway. That's right. <laughs> and so we kind of got what we trained them for. That's right. And when we began to grow, change a little bit it can be a little uncomfortable for everybody family systems theory supports that all the time especially if you're working with addiction once someone who struggled with addiction get not only gets sober but actually begins to start becoming who they were supposed to be which has been covered over Mm -hmm. then some folks in the family system can get really uneasy about that because then it challenges them that's right wait a minute i don't know how to relate to them anymore wait a minute this is scary am i supposed to change too Mm-hmm. And so that brings it, it's a tiny, what you said is a small story. It's funny, but it really represents something that in a seed form becomes really bigger and more important yeah. when we begin to push it out into relationships, right? Yeah. All right. So I want to cover one thing back again, because I think it's hugely important, especially for ego type fours, is that idea of coming to the realization, I am unique, but so is everybody else. Yes. To me, the fours that I've known, know, or have been clients with, or been in recovery with, or just know what it is, to me, that seems to be the key mm-hmm. that unlocks some things for them. How did you get to that? Well, all I can say is I, you know, as I, I've said before, alluded to, I've been doing some some deeper inner work mm-hmm. uh, myself. I think it's important for everybody to take moments in their life to really step back and say, okay, let me evaluate where I'm at right now. And let's, um, let's see, you know, if there's some things that maybe need to be addressed in my heart and in my soul that I haven't been addressing. So I've been kind of in that process. And that's part of it that has kind of come to light for me. And God has, has 
you know, just orchestrated me understanding that more about myself, but also um, a lot of prayer. Just, I want to see people through your eyes, Lord. Okay, yeah. I don't want to see them the way that I have always seen them. So give me, you know, give me new eyes. Give me a new heart. Um, as I'm have, learning to have more compassion for myself and who I am, help me to have more compassion for those around me as well. Yeah, it's beautiful. I was fortunate enough in the years that I've been studying Enneagram that I had some great teachers that from the beginning said, look, this is about raised consciousness level, which should lead to more compassion, uh, compassion for self and compassion for others, which is in a sense what Paul says in Galatians is, look, it, faith that doesn't produce love is you, you probably, if your faith is not producing love and you are love from God and love for others, you might want to change your faith. And I think the same thing with Enneagram and any inner work. If it's not leading to not only a change in recognition of my fully aliveness, but then leading me to be more compassionate, loving, fulfilling the greatest commandment, then I probably need to shift what I'm studying or what I'm doing. But it sounds like your inner work is, is producing that in you, both in compassion for self, but understanding and compassion for others. Wow, they're unique too. I can celebrate that. Yeah. I don't have to be the uniquest person in the room yeah I hope so I hope that it's producing that that's that's been you know something that I've been looking for God to help me with and because the other side just like we talked about before is when you feel this uniqueness and you don't fit it also leads to this envy thing that fours struggle with yeah and so it can definitely display itself that way um envy for everybody else looks like they fit so well in their world and Mm -hmm. I don't so that's, you know, helping me as well, just to learn that they are special and everybody's, everybody's journey is different. You know, everybody's, my walk does not have to look like everyone else's. Um, and, I, and it doesn't. And I've got different circumstances in my life that, um, you know, God is, if I allow him to, he uses those things for the good, yeah. not because he's trying to make me more of an outcast. So, yeah, that's a beautiful picture of how he can use uh, our uniqueness, our differentness, but actually to draw us in and draw people toward us, mm-hmm. as you said, to, to minister to them. Yeah. Okay, so um, you've been on a little bit of a sabbatical this year, right? As I you talked been. about, right? Yeah. yeah um, so we're not, we haven't counseled together in like seven or eight months, probably. It's been about, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And um, I know during that time, as you said, you have done a lot of inner work, a lot of prayer, mm-hmm. a lot of. One of the things that you said recently that was helpful for you that was kind of practical was using uh, Enneagram in the spiritual rhythms of the Enneagram mm-hmm. in the harmony triads and emotions of the soul. And for those of you who are not aware of it, um, a, a lot of work in Enneagram comes through a spiritual tradition. And particularly for those who are uh, Christ followers, uh, one of the beautiful, um, I'd say one of the best books I've ever seen written about this called Spiritual Rhythms of Enneagram, a handbook for transformation and harmony. And it's talking about the idea that we are all three-centered people, head, heart, and body, which always reminds me of Deuteronomy 6 or Jesus re-quoting it in the New Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And in there, he seems with heart to be talking about our emotional intelligence center, seems to be talking about mind, our head intelligence center, and then strength, our body, or our gut, or, or what is typically called the will, the will to do. Does that yeah. make sense? Mm-hmm. And yes. so within spiritual rhythms, there's a lot of talk about those three centers, uh, how we were created with those, but how we kind of get disconnected from those a little bit, or, mm-hmm. or we overuse one as a seven, I'm in the head triad, so I overuse my head. Mm-hmm. It's not that I sat down one day when I was two or five or ten and said, I think I'll overuse my head in order <laughs> to get by in life. But I tend to do that. I tend to be more analytical thinking, and to the detriment of I've disconnected sometimes from my heart or my body. And some people say, how do you disconnect from your body? If my wife were here, she could explain it to you. But talk a little bit about the Harmony Triad and and some of the work, some of the spiritual work you've done, the prayers or um, anything along those lines that you think were helpful to you. Okay. Well, I would just say, um, so for me, it's more of I'm in the heart triad. So I definitely have a tendency to be led by my heart. um, And my emotions um, are a big part of that. So... I would say part of the the journey that has been helpful for me uh, during this time 
with Enneagram work is uh, I know there's some breath prayers that have been, you know, listed in some of the study and that I have done about that. That's helped me because it could, it connects my emotions and body and mind yeah, all at the same time. And that's a very simple practice. And it's just something I've never really had in my rotation. I haven't really understood the, the purpose in it necessarily, but that has been helpful for me. It grounds me and reminds me, um, I am unique and I am special to God. Um, just kind of breathing in the fact that he is there and, you know, present with me, um, loves me the way that I am, that all of those things, those just reminding myself of that. Um, I think I've also been learning too how to, talking about balance, equanimity, mm-hmm. balance those three things um, better. Yeah. Um, at least I hope I Bring have. them into more harmony. Bring them yeah. into more harmony. Because yeah. so all of us have one that's kind of, we don't know it, but one of those three usually got repressed somewhere yes. in childhood. It wasn't that anybody told us to repress it, although they could have said some things that we interpreted as, you know, that part of me, I probably ought to just dismiss that and leave that alone for a yes. while. But most of the time it's unconscious. We leave a, a very important part of ourselves behind. Yes. Yeah. And I would say that for me, that would probably be, you know, living in my head more, you know, more intellectual thinking through. That's probably the part that I dismiss more. Um, and so I, I've been you know, bringing, trying my best, you know, just yeah. through the Lord's leading to, to bring all those three together and not be so, again, my tendency is to be so, uh, introspective. So, you know, much about my feelings and my emotions, you know, inwardly. Um, and so again, like I said before, trying to learn that those emotions are good and they are healthy, but processing them through all three, not yeah. just, you know, holding on tightly and inwardly. Yeah. As you said, grounded in the body, but then also using the mind of Christ to actually filter those things. Renewing my mind has been a big thing that I have been working on a lot. Um, Just renewing, you know, making myself, you know, letting the Lord show me where I need new pathways in my mind. Maybe they've been places where I've been believing lies, you know, from the enemy or however you want to say that, that he's really been saying, okay, let's, let's work on creating this new pathway here. And that takes conscious effort. Yeah. Um, yeah. It doesn't uh, come naturally. Yeah. The phrase is you have to pay a, a, a attention to where you put your intention. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that's consciousness. That's yes. a part of, okay, I'm awake and alive. And I would say without trying to draw a straight line or be legalistic or pedantic in this, the idea for me when I, and I grew up in a Christian tradition, I'm a Christ follower. When I look at the scriptures, I see a lot of clues in there, hints about this idea of dying to self, but it's not dying to our true self. I don't think, I think it's dying to kind of the false self, the egoic structure Mm -hmm. that kind of got set up uh, as we were growing up. And this learning to disidentify with parts of that ego, I think, is stripping away the old self and then bringing in what really we were intended to be, the fully aliveness. Yeah. Does that make any sense? It does. And yeah. I, the way I see I'm, you know, that's a lot of good words. I'm more like, Uh-oh. here's the bottom line. There for you me. go. Okay. All right. Here we go. So bottom line for me is, it's, you know, biblical. It's the practice of flesh versus spirit. Is the way that I kind of look at that is where are we engaging the flesh and, and going in the, more in that direction, which can be all of those things that, like we've talked about, envy and, you know, those things mm-hmm. that well up in us that were yes. not, in, they were not God designed. They were not intended for us in our making and learning to deny and rob those things more and more of any power. And the way you do that is you feed the spirit. So how do you feed the spirit? It's obviously it's being in God's word. It's being, you know, doing the inner work with the Holy Spirit that you need to do. It's um, going to church. It's being involved in community with other believers. It's all of those things that you just, the more you feed, whatever you're feeding is what's going to grow. So denying more of the flesh and learning how to feed the spirit. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Yeah. I hope y'all caught there how she cut me off from my intellectual thinking. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, all right, so um, let me ask you a question, too. I think it's really real. I'm, I remember sitting in a, um, a drop-in Enneagram group in a church a few years ago, and I'd been involved with it for a while, and a man came in. Actually, it was a four now that I think about it, and, and he was relatively new, but he had been listening and watching, and I think one of the discussions that day was about types and, and relationships and how communication goes haywire and that type of thing, and and so, and and he 
he he interjected and said, look, this is interesting, and I can see where it kind of can be a little bit helpful with a marriage or relationship, but, like, does Enneagram really address the bigger issues in the world? Like, like racism, injustice, that thing? And I'm like, yeah, that is the best question. <laughs> I am so glad he asked that question, and I knew in my heart, in my body, in my mind at that moment that the answer is, Yes, it can. Mm -hmm. It's more than just, can I get this one little fracture relationship right? Mm -hmm. It has bigger picture things that God's concerned with, right? And so that kind of, we had a long discussion about that after. In fact, we went, the leaders of the group were so smart, they went and the next week they came back and said, okay, we're going to focus on social justice and or we're going to focus on other systemic issues and or poverty, whatever, and we're going to talk about that from an Enneagram perspective. So that fours, kind of the unique way they were thinking, mm -hmm. the broader, bigger, deeper, mm -hmm. kind of brought that out in the room. It was really cool. So, I love that. Yeah. So the thought for me is if we're not careful, anything, knowledge uh, tends to puff up, Paul says, where love lifts up. He's not denigrating knowledge. Mm -hmm. What he's saying, knowledge by itself, awareness by itself can't change anything. Correct. You got to put it to work and it needs to be filtered through love, compassion, right? So how have you seen some of your inner work, Enneagram, prayer, all these different things that God has been leading you to, how has it helped you kind of in relationships in general? Um, well, I think that for one thing, it's so helpful when you understand more about yourself. Um, and I think <laughs> having revelations of, we have an idea of how we view ourselves, but we don't necessarily always know how other people view us. And so the more that I have learned about myself, the more that I've kind of, you know, it's spurred conversations with people that I'm in relationships with. And I've said, this is kind of what I'm realizing about myself and I'm learning. And oftentimes, and you know, it's not always positive things. Some of sometimes it's negative things. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that mm -hmm. I was doing this. Mm -hmm. Is this? We don't know what we don't know. We don't, that's right. Yeah. So it spurs those conversations with people that they are able to to then say, well, actually, yeah, you know, you've I've always felt this from you. Yeah. And one of mine is 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 the wall. You know, they just they feel the wall because yeah. of the emotions that I've suppressed and that kind of thing. And almost everyone that I've been to, and I've said, hey, have I have I made you feel this way? Nine times out of ten, yeah. there's been a yes, and that is helpful. Information. It's interesting because I've noticed that with with a lot of four people that identify with four is that this uh, dynamic called push pull or pull push, where you're drawn in by the four, pulled in, mm -hmm. and then they kind of push you away, and it can get real vibrant. You, you we talked about this earlier. You don't present. I'm, I'm doing air quotes for everybody that can't see. You don't present as the typical four in that your outward behavior doesn't always match the caricature of a four, which I've always told you I thought you were a subtype. You were the countertype of yes. the four. And your dominant instinct, I think, is probably self-preservation, which filters the four and makes them look different. We can, we'll do another podcast on that. That's folks. for another time. We, we did a little <laughs> once, but we'll do some more again. But I think that filters your fourness. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Because your tendency, your the self-preservation instinct doesn't mean you're just always about yourself. But what it tends to mean is you pay a lot more attention instinctively to those things that have to do with ambiance and surroundings and uh, what what is important in life to sustain things and that type. In fact, you, I think you've mentioned to me before, like you kind of like your place where you can do your inner work or something to have a kind of a feel to it or, or you'll have a, a particular icon or something or a poem or a flower or you decorate or something you, or you want something you can connect to. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I, I definitely am influenced by the atmosphere that mm -hmm. I'm, that I'm in. Um, and so even in my home, I do try to really, there's, there's a certain way that I want things to be. And I don't necessarily mean like decorated beautifully all the time. Right. But there's a certain feel, a feel that I'm going for. Yeah. And that's really important. And where I, you know, where I choose to um, spend that time away, that quiet time with the Lord, those spaces are definitely places that I, you know, I need them to feel a certain way for me. Yeah. Um, and so I do, and I guess that probably, I don't know if that's just a four thing or not, but. 
Well, it's actually, important the, to me. yeah, it, it's, it's a forced version of self-preservation instinct because all type, like for instance, my wife Carrie would identify as one, ego one, which most people would say, well, that's way different from four, but she's actually in the harmony triad. She's in the body, you're in the heart, I'm in the head, one, four, seven. But she's also got a dominant instinct of self-preservation like you do, I think. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important for She feels yes. things, ambiance, atmosphere. Yes. Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, I could care less. Well, I even said it in this building that we're in right now. <laughs> exactly. This morning, first time you're in the building. Yes. And we lost you. You started wandering around. and But you said, I, f- I feel the presence of the Lord. I feel the Spirit. Yes. Here. And you went seeking it, I think. Either that or the bathroom. I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> but you came back. She came back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that self-preservation instinct is really interesting because it does, it affects what you naturally pay attention to. Mm-hmm. What you do. And so for Carrie, it's really important to, when she walks in a room, she feels certain things, that, you know, the temperature, the ambiance, the feel, the presence. I'm like, I don't get it. I, I, I'm not, it's nothing <laughs> for me, you know. I, if if I, My dominant instinct is what's called the sexual or the syntonic, which is the one-to-one, the generative buzz of recreating something and so the house could be burning down around me if I'm having this kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. If I'm connected, I don't care, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, she's she's aware if the house needs to be painted 10 years from now, <laughs> like, which leads to another couple of conversations. So, all right. Uh, so I want to, before we close, I want to get into, we just talked about the work you're doing, inner work leading to difference in relationships, more compassion, more awareness, more sympathy, which helps you not only minister to people differently, but do family life differently, friendships differently, and so on. And then we talked a minute about the bigger picture issues in life in which we believe Enneagram work as part of our spiritual work can actually help us in those areas too. And so I want to think of one specific thing, which is the March that's coming up. I want you to talk about that, Mm -hmm. but I also want to I uh, want you to talk a little bit about how you feel that it's evolving that you believe you may have a more particular ministry for women and then particularly about certain women. So can you talk about that? Yeah, so I just feel like um, God has really opened my eyes, I guess, right now in this season to see how his daughters are really hurting. Um, and I think that's, I don't, I'm not going to say it's just daughters. I'm just saying that in my realm, my sphere, I feel like he's made me very aware of um, of how they're hurting, and they're they're women in the church. They're godly women. These are people that love the Lord, um, but they are hurting, and a lot of it is um, past, you know, sins that are mm-hmm. coming to light. A lot of it is things that are currently in our in our culture and our society that are they're hurting over. It's our children that are being you know really pulled in into the world right now and and confused by mm-hmm. um, what the enemy's telling them. There's a, there's just a lot. I, I cannot imagine what it's like to parent or to mother children now during the pandemic. Yeah. What's been going on. It's, plus everything else you're talking about. It has definitely been a very unusual time um, to be. And I have a 16 year old and a 13 year old. And even just the two of them in the same household have, have uh, navigated this time totally differently. And, um, you know, so I think we're they're just hurting um I wish I could share a hundred stories I've got a lady that lives two doors down from me that the Lord had prompted me to walk her they hadn't moved in to the house yet the house was for sale the Lord prompted me just to prayer walk around that house and um before they ever before the before the house even sold the couple that ended up moving in there um sweet sweet couple uh their daughter had been she shared with me I told her I'd you know, prayed over her house, and she said, God specifically laid on my heart to pray that it would be a place of rest and refuge for her and her family. And she said, you have no idea what's happened. My daughter was brutally murdered by her husband who had abused her, and she had tried to leave him and was getting some freedom, and he came and found her and murdered her. And she said, you just have no idea um, what that has done for me to know that that God has divinely uh, led us here. And Story after story like that, that yeah. I just, you know, I feel this, I, I feel um, the hurt that the people are enduring right now. And it's just all been come, it's come to light too, even more with the pandemic, obviously. Um, but I just really have a burden and a heart to help these women. And so I don't really know exactly how that looks yet. It's just like I alluded to earlier on, it's God's 
however he orchestrates what that looks like. I know counseling is part of that, um, but I don't know if there's, you know, even more. But there's also other ministries that he's kind of brought into my path. Um, well, let's talk about one of those okay. because on the 16th of October, I believe, the uh, Human Trafficking March is going to take place in the Trustful area around Birmingham. Yes. Right? And you're involved because Sonia's involved. That's right. You got involved. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, so this walk is, is going to be happening globally on October 16th. Um, it will happen here locally in Trustful um, at 9 o'clock in the morning. So if you're available and want to be a part of it, um, please come. It's going to take place in the mall uh, in Trustful between South Mall and North Mall. There's this area, kind of like a park, um, that we're going to be meeting and starting the walk. And um, it's going to be a walk for, it's a silent walk um, just to make bring awareness to human trafficking. And that comes, that's not just a female thing that happens with males. It's with kids. It's with adults. There's human trafficking that's occurring globally and it is becoming more and more of an issue and it's, um, it is closer than we think isn't it? it's in our backyard yeah. it is in, literally in our backyard and I didn't know that until I went through some training a few years ago and was really brought you know it was brought to my attention um, but it is it's a 150 billion dollar industry it is something that is happening everywhere and um, so the more that you know the more you want to get involved um and so I would just say start there. You can go, the, the particular walk that we're a part of is through A21 Ministries, which is Christine Kane's ministry. And you can go to a21.org if you want to know more information. Just reading about the statistics about human trafficking will blow your mind. Um, and then to know that it is not something that is out there. It yeah. is happening right here. Um, if you want to come and be a part, please come be a part of it. Uh, we're, we're just going to do the walk. It's, we're calling this, it is a silent walk, but it also is going to be a prayer walk. So we will have some prayer prompts um, if you want to uh, pray, because we just, you know, we want to take the territory back for the kingdom of God. Um, anything that he, the enemy has tried to steal, we're just taking a stand and yeah. saying we're, we're wanting to bring the kingdom back into this yeah. situation. So It's beautiful, yeah. I'm glad you got connected. I know that's been on Sonia's heart for a while. It has been, yes. Uh, the training we took, but also that corridor out there on I-20 uh, going east to Atlanta is one of those places they know now that a lot of that takes place, a lot of the abductions. Yes. Yeah, takes mm -hmm. place. Um, all right, so before we close, just a question. And I saw the emotion coming to you as you were doing that. It was getting to me, too. The idea that this type of behavior, this the abductions, the slavery, uh, the human trafficking is so much closer and right around us than we know. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. It's one of those bigger, obviously big issues that we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. uh, that our inner work can actually bring fruit out into the world. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, as you go forward and you're, and you're still trying to kind of wait out and see what God's saying, this is more specific about the women's ministry I'm going to do to particular women or I'm and being involved of course in the human trafficking which by the way folks I don't you're probably not aware but from an addiction perspective that experience is is very likely to produce addiction at a much higher rate in a, in a, a person that's been involved in that yeah. some people may not be aware of that um, so uh, what's next for you in terms of uh, your preparation? You, are you just kind of waiting, <laughs> or do you need me to tell you what to do? Or because you remember, you know my motto, right? God loves you, and I have a plan for your life. Right? <laughs> um, thank you, Art. I appreciate that uh, <laughs> no, you don't. offer. No, you I do. Don't. No, I appreciate it. Um, I I am easing back into life in in terms of uh, you know ministry and that kind of thing. I'm easing back in and um, I'm letting the Lord orchestrate those steps for me. Um, right, I'm getting back into counseling now. I'm, I'm taking I've got a couple of courses that I'm taking right now that, and I'm actually leading a group right now to teach women about spiritual warfare. So that's another thing I'm kind of involved in right now and I'm loving because it's just been 
honestly and truly, it's been uh, one of those times where I've just said, God, whatever, however you want this to look, whatever we're supposed to do, you just lead it. And oh, I can't even tell you the fruit that's coming from that. It's not me coming in as I'm the counselor. Let me teach you all about spiritual warfare. It is God, you do whatever you want to do. And, um, and I love that group of ladies and I love how, you know, God's surfacing so many things that they've said, you know, I didn't, I've never shared this because I didn't feel like I could, but here's what I'm really dealing with. Um, and it's just been beautiful to see how God's ministered already to, to that group. So that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm dipping my toes back in. I'm, I feel, um, different, you know, I feel different. I feel like the, different. the sabbatical has yeah. different in a good way. Different oh, that look at me, bring it back bring full the circle. Song. Wow. That was, I, lo- I like what you did there. Look at that. Yeah. Lauren, thank you. Thank you, Art. So much for being here. It's been great. It's been a great interview. And so does that mean that maybe we'll connect some more now? I'm I'm out in the world now, Art. (laughs) So we can connect. Oh, yeah. That sounds pretty vague. All right. (laughs) I need a little bit more than that. Okay. All right. We'll put it on the calendar. Lauren, thanks again. Guys, thanks for joining us for this podcast, uh, this version of How's That Working For You. We'll see you next time. Different. God, why'd you make me different? I can never fit in. Can't you see it's hard to be so different? Gosh, that was so much fun having Lauren here in the studio with us, uh, getting to listen to her journey. Um, how she was created to be deep and she's still going there, but how that invites other people who need that desperately to have a safe place to go do that. But also, I hope you heard uh, how that's impacting her way to deal with some of the bigger issues in life out there that we need to deal with and to do it from that deep level as well. And how, you know, that's actually working for her, uh, the inner work she's done how the Spirit had, and uh, have God has been working in her as she's been willing to open herself up to that. And that's going to pay uh, dividends for many people going outward, I'm sure. Join us next time, won't you, as we look again through the lens of the Enneagram for help, hope, and humor. This is Art Wimberly signing off. Thanks. Different. God, why'd you make me different? I can never fit in Can't you see it's hard to be so different